On a street shaded by big redwood trees on the east side of Mountain View, California, Wahid McGee is inspecting parked RVs. He's a police sergeant here, a wealthy town that's home to Google, one of the world's richest corporations. Yeah, and you can see see how this all the debris are on the windshield, the spider webs. I'll do my marking, and I know what time, you know, that I've been here, general, right? And we give a lot of leeway. We don't come, like, on the hour of the third day. We actually typically give it, like, a fourth day. Um, and I'll come back and check on it and see if it's abandoned. Sergeant McGee spends a lot of his time knocking on the doors of hundreds of RVs lining the city streets, logging license plates, and marking rigs that haven't moved for several days. Yeah, we and this one's been marked. Yeah, this car has been marked, and, and then we'll, we'll go from there. We'll try to contact the person and warn them. If not, we give them a ticket with, in writing, it's towable. They get two of those typically before we, we tow. Although we do have the, you know, authority to tow it the first time, that's the last thing we want to do. These vehicles aren't abandoned. They're people's homes. Mountain View is the centre of Silicon Valley's tech boom, and it's minting millionaires almost by the hour. But the byproduct of all this new wealth is that thousands of people are being forced to live in RVs across San Francisco and the broader Bay Area because rent and house prices have risen so high. Living in an RV used to be a cool life hack for a few iconoclastic Googlers, extending the Silicon Valley myth of sleeping under your desk and working out of a garage. Now it's become an act of desperation and a symbol of a housing crisis that can no longer be ignored. I'm Pia Gadkari. And I'm Alistair Barr. You're listening to Decrypted. A small handful of Googlers have lived in RVs on and off since the company's early days. I recently spoke to one former Googler named Matt Weaver, who did it in 2005 for about a year. I didn't have to live in an RV to make ends meet. I I did it at least in part because of a dare. I had a new kind of... Uh, tech job in the Bay Area that I was doing perfectly fine at um, and lived in an RV in no small part simply to say that I had done such a thing. It was a fun thing back then. Google was a newly public company with about 5,000 employees and Facebook wasn't much more than a dorm room project. Since then, things have changed dramatically. Google now has roughly 100,000 full-time staff and tens of thousands of temporary and contract workers. And Facebook, which is headquartered just a few miles to the north, has about 35,000 employees. Then there's Uber, Lyft, Airbnb, Palantir, PayPal, LinkedIn. The list goes on. Nowhere near enough housing has been built to keep up. So home prices and rents have soared. And the result is thousands of people living in RVs in towns all over Silicon Valley. If I look at this road, if you just count with the naked eye, it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven kind of eight right yeah but then if if you include these ones it's right closer to 20 yeah i counted about 50 in and around google's campus on the eastern edge of mountain view the city has logged almost 300 palo alto berkeley and other bay area towns have similar numbers the rvs are usually white or beige and they're either parked along leafy residential streets lined with detached suburban houses or they're tucked away near office parks Hi, Hi. I'm sorry to bother you. I knocked on the door of a cute ranch-style house, and one long-time resident was at home. So we chatted for about half an hour on his front porch. Across the street, there were about 10 RVs. Nice guy, works over at Google, comes over, shakes my hand, says hi, offers me a beer. He's just going to be living out of it. Girlfriend would come by at 4 o'clock and go up on top and do sunbathing. We always joked. It is what it is. 
and and that was that. Of all of the RVs, maybe that's twenty percent of what it is. Uh, the other eighty percent, however, is a pure, um, and everyone has the same tagline: "It's too expensive here uh, for them to get, um, you know, a house or an apartment or whatever it is." He sounds like he's accepted the situation. But he's had mixed feelings about the RVs for some time. Google keeps taking care of my home value. It keeps going up. Thank you, Google. But, um, you know, with that, you, you, you don't want the crime. I got, a, I got a kid. This year, tensions between homeowners and the people living in the RVs has boiled over. In March, the nearby community of Berkeley voted to ban RV parking on public streets. And a few weeks later, Mountain View followed with a ban of its own. In the lead up to that vote in Berkeley, a city council meeting devolved into a screaming match. Would you like us to discuss the RV item or not? Would you like us to discuss the RV item or not? There's so much angst around this issue right now. One day when I was looking at a local news website, I spotted a comment from a Mountain View resident which said, stop feeding the bears. As in the RV dwellers are bears that should be removed. So I set out to talk to RV dwellers and hear their stories. What I found, of course, is that they're not animals, despite what that Mountain View resident wrote. They're often well-educated, hardworking people who would be living in a comfortable apartment or small house in almost any other part of the US. Mountain View officials have checked the data, and contrary to the perception of some homeowners, there's no evidence that RV dwellers are committing crimes at a higher rate than other residents. Still, Googlers who live in RVs are keeping a low profile these days. I put letters on windshields of about 20 RVs around the company's headquarters campus, asking them to get in touch. There's sometimes a telltale sign they work for the internet giant. You can often see one of those multicolored Google bikes parked next to an RV, so the inhabitant can jump on and cycle to the office. Gonna put my letter there as well. There we go. The thing to do is you pop it under the windscreen wiper um, rather than obviously knock on the door and disturb them. It is only 7.45 in the morning right now, so people probably haven't got up yet. A few days later, I got an email from an anonymous address. It said, Our group tries to stay discreet, avoiding media inquiries, but we understand the importance of having our narrative told. I recommend you reach out to vandwellers at google.com. When I emailed that official company address, I got no reply. There is a Googler who calls himself Brandon S., who's been blogging about his experiences. But he tends to focus more on financial planning advice, such as how to buy a house elsewhere while you save money living in a vehicle in Silicon Valley. And he didn't want to talk to us for this podcast. But I was able to talk to other people currently living in RVs. On a sunny spring afternoon, I met up with a guy called Sam about 100 yards from Google's headquarters. Hello. Hi. How are you? Sam's 41, and he spent most of his career in IT, but he currently drives for Lyft. His wife, Linda, works at a big drug development company in Silicon Valley. Sam looks like any other tech nerd. He had a sharp haircut, wore a trendy jacket and expensive jeans. And he rode up to me on an electric scooter with a high-end action camera attached to his chest. Full scooter? Oh, yeah. So on those Segway Segway (laughs) ones. That's pretty cool. I think so. Uh, So you you live around here? 
Uh, well, in the RVs, so yeah. Yeah, we, yeah. We, um, on literally on this road, or um, some days we're uh, right now just on the other side, um, over between like the Yahoo building, or I'm sorry, the uh, uh, YouTube building and the Google Maps building. Oh yeah, I yeah. forget the name of the street. Uh, uh, though. Sam and Linda used to own a house in Sacramento, but they sold and moved when Linda got that new job. Once they arrived, they found out they couldn't afford rent. This is despite a combined income of roughly $100,000 a year. In most places, you'd live like a king on that. But here it's very hard to make ends meet if you want to also build rainy day savings, as we're all told we're supposed to do. And we just did the math when we were, you know, renting a room and we could kind of stay afloat, but there's no way to save any money for retirement or the future at all. We'd just be floating and then at some point rent prices would go beyond our ability to pay. Turns out living without a permanent address is complicated. We agreed to change Sam and Linda's names because they're afraid that if Linda's employer finds out she lives in an RV, she'll be fired. It's a very gray area living out of a out of an RV. Um, there's big litigation on whether or not it's even legal uh, to live out of an RV and have a bank account and things like this. So once you become homeless, it's very difficult to become unhomeless. That's because if you don't have a traditional address, it's impossible to get landlord references to rent a home, and it's trickier to arrange a mortgage if you want to buy. Sam and Linda had to talk to a lawyer about how to keep their bank accounts and retirement savings accounts. Financial regulations mean banks usually want a residential address for account holders, and P.O. boxes are frowned upon. Technically, they can seize our accounts and, and there go our... Oh, I, didn't, I did not think of that. Uh, E-trade accounts, all of that would could technically go bye-bye if we did not if we were not very careful about how we did this. Sam didn't want to go into more detail because he's concerned about losing access to their accounts. Now that they've been in this situation for at least a year, he's torn about whether they should have made the move to Silicon Valley at all. It's a mixed blessing. Uh, living, I mean, no, who wants to live half homeless? I mean, it's, it's, as much as it can look glamorous online, it, it comes with its own problems. Sam struggles in particular with the neighborhood tensions. It's not easy knowing homeowners don't want you around. I would imagine if I paid $2 million for a house, I'm not in a hurry to see somebody living out in an RV out on the street either. You know, so I, people pay very high property taxes here, and to see people kind of skirting that, I'm sure it's, that's not making people excited about, about their neighbors. Plus, Sam doesn't work at Google. So he can't enjoy company perks like showers that make it a lot easier for employees to live in an RV. The Google employees, the, everything subsidized for them, food, laundry, anything they could possibly want, which is why they can downsize totally to a van. It's a one-stop shop for them. For some people, it's, it's a stepping stone. For some people, it's a, it's a trap. <laughs> I wanted to get a better sense for what life is like for people living in RVs without Google providing toilets, showers, food and laundry. So I spent an afternoon with another RV resident, Paul Kastner. So you want to give me a tour? Uh, sure. Um, this is the living room. Um, Paul has spent his career in tech, including a recent stint at a semiconductor equipment supplier as a quality engineer. The company cut staff, including Paul, and now he's looking for a new job and surviving in an RV. Got a couch that folds down into a bed, a couple chairs. Um, I'm a musician, uh, so I have a nice... Uh, speaker system here with, with some good bass and can listen listen to songs. Um, 
Yeah, that's um, cool. Yeah. All right. Um, and then... Got a kitchen here. Um, kitchen. It's... I think of it like a European kitchen. It's got everything that anybody here has, but just, like, a tiny bit smaller in size. Like, it's got a stove and a sink. Um, there's a 100-gallon tank in the back. Um, uh, and then... Two fifty-gallon tanks for for waste. For By the way, that lapping sound in the background was Paul's dog Bandit, who was very friendly, and I was impressed by the way Paul made use of his small space. But it did smell musty, I have to say, and dealing with sewage seemed difficult too. There's a service centre about eight miles north where Paul can go to empty his tanks and refill with fresh water. The other option is to use a hose to empty the waste directly into the sewer system through sewer cleanouts on the street. Paul says that goes to the same place everyone else's waste goes. But ultimately, Paul's main challenge is the same as Sam's. Your neighbours don't like you, or they're even scared of you. And for the people living in RVs, it's about to get worse. In March, Berkeley banned RVs from parking overnight. Pacifica... East Palo Alto and other Bay Area towns have enacted limits as well. At the end of March, Mountain View voted to do the same. It's unclear when this ban will kick in, but it's coming. At a Mountain View city meeting in March, several residents and RV dwellers blame big tech companies for indirectly raising prices and not doing enough to fix the issue. The city council was criticised too. Dozens of people came with signs that read, I stand with Mountain View vehicle residents. And a group representing the people living in RVs came to speak at the event. Preventing parking and throwing more people out of our community is unconscionable. I do not want to live in a town where the only people who can afford to be here are very, very rich techies or very, very old retirees like myself. Thank you. Again, This is a polarising issue for Mountain View residents. Some people are standing up for the rights of RV residents, but other homeowners are happy about the parking bans. These are often people who were lucky enough to have bought a home many years ago. They don't want new apartment buildings marring their suburban paradise, and they get angry at the thought of affordable housing bringing poorer people to their neighbourhoods. For at least a decade, this attitude has won out. Rising salaries and a growing population, combined with a limited supply of new homes, has sparked a surge in prices. The median rent in Mountain View has almost doubled since late 2010 to $4,000 a month. That's nearly triple the national average. The median Mountain View home value is $1.8 million, up from $750,000 10 years ago. Landlords are richer, homeowners feel richer and smarter for buying early. The odd homeless person on the street could easily be ignored or explained away as a product of poor life choices. The RV explosion is changing all of this. When cities crack down, RV dwellers usually move on to the next town and hope for the best. But now that many towns are limiting parking, it's unclear where all these people will go. I spoke to Jennifer Loving, the CEO of a group called Destination Home, which is trying to reduce homelessness in Santa Clara County, where Mountain View is located. She blames the lack of affordable housing for low-income workers. She said this type of real estate isn't as profitable for developers who would rather build McMansions for wealthy tech workers. We have rising rents, we have gentrification, we have people being displaced, and, and all of that together is creating an untenable situation for thousands and thousands of families and individuals that are trying to live and work here in this community. 
I also spoke to Alison Hicks, one of only two Mountain View Council members to vote against the RV parking ban. She says the tech boom happened so quickly that residents are struggling to adjust to the fact that they now live in a densely populated area with different needs. A hundred years ago, this area was farmland. It was the Valley of Heart's Delight. After post-war, it became a suburb, and now we're becoming a more urban place. Urban places have problems that suburban and rural places don't. So this is the reason Sergeant McGee spends so much time driving around Mountain View, keeping track of RV dwellers and offering them support, warning them of the coming parking ban and pushing people to sign up for what little affordable housing is available right now. And there are other worrying signs too. When I rode along with Sergeant McGee one recent afternoon, an RV resident ran away from us. We jumped in the police car and quickly caught up with him. Sergeant McGee found what he suspected was methamphetamine on this person. So what do you do now? Uh, so I'm gonna get my, I could book him. Um, we could book him, but he's going to come right out. So he lives in that RV right where that can was spray painted. I'm going to a citation, go to court. And then there's that sewage issue. Sergeant McGee stopped to inspect one RV that had brown liquid leaking from an outlet pipe near the rear wheel. We've been getting complaints about this one leaking sewage, and I just haven't got it with leaking. You can see there's dried something underneath it, but uh, you can see the uh, duct tape instead of the cap. That's, that's the reservoir for the sewage. So it's, you can see, see where it's darker right underneath it? You I do. Can see, yeah, you can see where it's, it's been dripping. The sergeant tested the slowly growing pool to prove it was human waste. It was. And he got serious with the people living in the vehicle. A self-driving car rolled past as he lectured the two residents. So you guys need to take care of it, like, ASAP. So we're supposed to, there's a new ordinance for towing. Like, we're supposed to tow it. I'm not going to tow it today, but tomorrow if I come out here and it's like this, it's getting towed. All right, so you've been notified. So, Ali, after all your reporting on this, what was your sense about uh, how people are feeling about the issue? Do they think tech companies should be doing more? Yeah, most people I heard from think think Google and other big tech companies should really step up more than they've done so far. And in the short term, they should at least make some of their big parking lots available so RV owners can park pretty safely overnight. What about this concept, you know, this historical concept of the company town, which you know, auto companies, mining companies have done in the past where they not only build housing directly for their workers, but in some cases, whole towns. Yeah, I've spoken to someone who's familiar with Google's thinking on this. And they said the internet giant is not at all interested in becoming a residential home builder or like a major landlord for staff. And it's actually, unfortunately, unlikely to make car parks available for RV parking either. Google officially declined to comment for this story, but they did point me to an interview one of their public policy managers did. She's Rebecca Prozan, and she spoke to PBS back in 2016. Obviously, our footprint creates pressure, creates pressure on housing and transportation, but that pressure isn't just tech, it's not just Google, it is all the industries that are creating uh, the economy of the Bay Area. We all have to work together to figure out what we are going to look like and how we're going to live. Ali, I mean, she's right that this isn't solely Google's problem to deal with. But it is true that most of the wealth created in the last few years has come from the tech industry. So I wonder, is there a push for Google and other tech companies to pay more in local taxes? Yeah, there's a general feeling, including from that guy in Mountain View that we spoke to, the, re- the resident, that the industry isn't paying enough tax on their huge profits that they make. 
But Google is giving money to a lot of organizations to tackle these issues. It's also got a very big plan to invest millions and millions of dollars in an area called North Bayshore, which is nearby its headquarters. And this will add thousands of homes, including about 20% of homes in that plan that will be affordable housing. It's definitely encouraging that Google could help to create thousands of new homes through that plan. But I can't help thinking Google is a company that has more than $100 billion in cash on its balance sheet. So still, even after those millions are donated, it's a bit like you or I giving $10 to a homeless person we pass on the street. Yeah, and that housing advocate, Jennifer Loving, that we spoke to, she thinks the North Bayshore plan should include a lot more affordable housing. She said 20% is, is nowhere near enough to solve this problem. And then, of course, you also have to think about the fact that it's not just about money. You know, Google could, in theory, throw million, billions and billions of dollars, not millions of dollars, but you need the political will as well. So people who live in these areas, that they actually have to want to help their neighbours. And when push comes to shove, sometimes, you know, that doesn't happen. So if it does take time, maybe years, to really address this issue, do you think there's a risk that the whole situation could escalate if it's allowed to fester? Yeah, I think there are a couple of risks. And uh, the first one was was put pretty well by Alison Hicks, who was that Mountain View Council member we spoke to. Her point is that if regular people can't afford to live here, the fabric of the society breaks down. So if you think of teachers, chefs, trash collectors, baristas, those types of people, these are people who make everyone's community function properly. And if these people are pushed further and further away, it's going to become a strange city and, and especially very hard for those people. And you can't have a town that functions if we only have tech workers living in it. Just even if you have no compassion for people themselves, you know, it, it won't be a functioning city as I, as I know it. It wouldn't be a city that I would want to live in. And the second issue could be even more of a risk, and, and that's that tech companies could go elsewhere. So in February, the Google CEO, Sundar Pichai, he announced a plan to spend $13 billion, and that would go on new offices and data centers. And a lot of this was outside Silicon Valley. And that's almost becoming a trend. We know Amazon has decided to do the same thing as well, expanding outside of Seattle after housing and infrastructure has come under a lot of strain in that city. Yeah, and, and, and when pushed on this type of thing, tech executives who are based around here, you know, they'll blame it. They won't blame it directly on, on this homeless crisis or the housing problem, but they'll basically say, you know, the, the amounts we have to pay for smart, for smart engineers is just way, way high. And, you know, the reason, the reason is because it costs so much to live here. And just going back to Sergeant McGee, did you ask him, Ali, how he feels about all of this? Yeah, we got into it a bit when my ride along with him ended. I asked basically whether the RV wave will ultimately be solved. And he looked pretty tired as he thought about the answer. Yeah, with everything, you know, the way things are going, I don't see how it's all going to disappear. I mean, where, where are we going to put everyone? You know, there's not enough housing at the moment. After a 12-hour day, he had a long drive ahead to get home because he can't afford to live in Mountain View. And that's it for this week's episode of Decrypted. Thanks for listening. If you live in a city where house prices have been affected by the tech boom, I would love to hear from you. You can write to us at decrypted at Bloomberg.net or I'm on Twitter at Alistair M. Barr. And I'm at Pia Gadkari. And please help us spread the word about our show by leaving us a rating or a review wherever you like to listen to podcasts. 
This episode was produced by Pierre Gadkari and Lindsay Cratterwill. Our story editor was Emily Busso. Thank you also to Aki Ito, Anne van der May and Brad Stone. Francesca Levy is head of Bloomberg Podcasts. We'll see you next week. 